Welcome to Chit Chat Stocks. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer analyze businesses and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Stocks is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Stocks by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Take four. Let's see. And yes, it is live. So go ahead, Ryan. Welcome to Chit Chat Stocks. This is our 100th investing power hour episode. So we're celebrating here. Brett's got a beer in hand. Uh, it's 930 over here on the West Coast. So I do not have a beer in hand, but I've got my uh, morning coffee. So I guess yeah. toast to that. Um, Ryan's a Ryan's a big partier. If anyone hasn't as figured that tell. out yet, yeah. And for the hundredth episode, we decided to take four tries to get it to go live using our new streaming software. So apologies for being twelve minutes late here, but Riverside. So I know, get your act together. But Ryan, I guess let's get things right and started. We're supposed to. We've read that we're supposed to start out quickly to entice new listeners. So what's the question you got this week? Rebubble, are we back? Because we got IPOs, we got SPACs, we got stocks hitting all-time highs. Are we officially in our rebubble for the 100th episode to celebrate? Yeah, I agree. I agree. You think we're there? Yeah, yeah. I think seeing Weeble going public through a SPAC with John Boehner on the board of directors, who was like a old politician at half the market cap of Robinhood. I think, yeah, the rebubble is back. Weeble is, <laughs> I guess we haven't seen their financials yet, but I'm looking forward to reading them. Yeah, just, and it's Weeble. W-E-B-U-L-L for anyone who doesn't know, which anytime you have the word bull in your company title, I mean, it's just ripe for, it kind of tells you what investor sentiment feels like when, uh, when that company is going public. But before we get started, we want to talk about our sponsors. You might know public.com as the all-in-one investing platform. Now they've launched options trading and with it, they're doing something no other brokerage has ever done before. Public is sharing 50% of their options trading revenue directly with you, the customer. So whenever you trade options on public, you get something back. And of course, there are no commissions or per contract fees either. By sharing 50% of their options revenue, you'll know exactly how much they take from your options trades because public is literally giving you half of it. So in other words, it is a more transparent approach to options with no fees and you get something back on every single trade. So go to public.com and activate options trading by March 31st to lock in your lifetime rebate. This is paid for by public investing. You must activate options account by March 31st for the revenue share. Options are not suitable for all investors and carry significant risk. Full disclosures are in the podcast description, US members only. With that said, let's get into things here. I've got a couple, uh, I guess it's not really news. I got some topics that I think are pretty interesting, but there is plenty of news this week. We've got a Reddit IPO, a Webull potential SPAC. We've got Bumble Earnings. We've got 
what other big earnings were there? Celsius earnings this morning, which looks pretty good, by the way. The stock is up 12% this morning. Uh, where do we want to start? I think you have a great small cap one, and that can be the meat of the episode. But let's do something more catchy first. What were your thoughts on the Weeble news? It seems like things are getting chaotic again. I can't keep up with all the stuff going on, uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on it. Yeah, it's. I don't know a lot about Weeble, but purely based on the name, it sounds like a platform that encourages active trading, which certainly elevates or escalates when markets are doing well. People are more excited, more people are involved, they're trading, all that stuff. So uh, it's kind of maybe a sign of the times. And it does just anecdotally in the market, it feels like people are extending their time horizons again. People are willing to pay a little more. And I'm doing it as well, where you're talking about just buy winners. Don't, I mean, just buy winners. You can, dude. Dude. You can haggle over valuation, but in the end, at the end of the day, you just want to buy the winners. Now, I will say I've moved more and more towards that side of things, but some of that might just be the all time high speaking, and I would bet a lot of it is. So uh, it feels like, yeah, we are at kind of the, the beginning, maybe, of a rebubble here, hopefully, uh, for my. <laughs> for our listener engagement people listen to the show more when they uh when stocks are doing well because it's it's i don't know just more exciting so yeah i think if we bull is gonna kick things off kick the rebubble off right i'm i'm happy about the spec that's a great way to put it i will say do you know where the digital pet rock the he who he who will not be named uh or sorry the crypto who will not be named is trading it oh do you know oh uh, i don't want to we're talking about btc for code yeah. word <laughs> yeah okay yeah. uh i read something about it which that's another sign of the not necessarily maybe we can call it the rebubble but i don't really hear much about it my timeline isn't filled with it i don't really follow a lot of people that are crypto investors and then it really, I just don't see that much news about it. But when I am seeing news, it's because it's soaring. So I'm going to, I remember someone saying it was above 64,000. What's that yeah. now? That's, a, I believe, yeah, it might be hitting all time highs here pretty soon. Well, if that's not a sign, I don't know. I don't know what is. Here's a fun question for you, Ryan. And obviously, we have no idea either way because it is pure gambling. Sorry for. The, the core believers there. We're not going to be your crypto uh, crypto believers on this show. By the end of the year, is Bitcoin above 100,000 or below 100,000? Gun to your head. I know I, you, I always do these to you. Gun to your head. What one do you choose? Does it, does it go above 100,000 one time for a single moment? I want a rebubble. I think it'd be fun. So I'm going to say above 100,000. People care more in a bubble. <laughs> There's more Unless energy. value yeah. investors, we can shrug it off and complain about people that haven't done as much research making money, but it's more fun. Pet yeah. rocks, soaring, photos of what, what were they? NFTs. 
just going for unreasonable amounts. I miss those days. I want them back. So Beyond I would be killing the sh- the shorts. I've seen lemonade investors talking about ladder attacks coordination by short sellers on FinTwit. I mean, it's just fun times. It's great. Reddit is IPOing. It's not. I don't think these things are always coincidences, right? Rivian IPO'd at the $100 billion market cap right at the top. Bitcoin, similar at the time period. I mean, when all these things move together, you can see the animal spirits. Like, you can just feel it. Yeah, there's always something to be excited about. I have that feeling again. I don't want anyone to get hurt, though. (laughs) Right? It's 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 dang, like you know what I mean. It feels good, but it's like being at that party. You go to a fun party, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock. It's it's a good time. You show up at that same party at about four a.m. Well, you know, hopefully everyone's <laughs> gone to bed. <laughs> yeah, let's. I want to talk about this. Uh, maybe it's like the only real topic or something with substantial takeaways from today's show, but I. Kind of ran a screener. I've been doing this a lot lately, which I feel like everyone does this when they first start like using screeners. It's like, oh, look at look at all these, and that's me right now. Uh, but I ran a screener, and my goal with this was to find some high quality small caps. So, first of all, I'd probably define small caps a little differently than most. I would. I say basically below $3 billion, I kind of consider it a small cap. I know a lot of people say $1 billion to $3 billion is kind of mid-cap, but in my universe, I think below $3 billion is a small business, So, um, at least in terms of the companies I'm investing in. Uh, here was my criteria. So when I ran the screener and plug, I used FinChat. They have a really good screener, uh, and they actually added something that kind of been spurred this idea for me. You can now filter by 10-year average return metric. So uh, the average return on invested capital over the last 10 years, you can use that metric. And that's kind of what encouraged it for me. So here's the criteria. The market cap has to be between $50 million and $3 billion. The average return on invested capital over the last 10 years has to be at least 15%. And then there's a lot of companies where they've had good returns on invested capital, but the business isn't growing at all. So I try to filter those out by doing earnings per share growth and revenue growth, both above 10% annually. And that certainly narrowed it down. Still plenty of companies on that list. And then there's some companies that are just really over levered that are in that group too. So I did net debt to EBITDA of less than five times. That's not, I mean, five times net debt to EBITDA is still a fair amount, but uh, this just got rid of any of the ones that were like really bad businesses that were still showing up on the screener. So that's my criteria. It's kind of five metrics or five qualifications. There were only 15 companies from the United States. I narrowed it down to the US, by the way, because it's if you do the whole globe, you got to filter, you got to find whether or not it's just like showing up there and shouldn't really be there. And it just makes it more complicated. So I did US only. 15 companies met this criteria. I don't know if I'll necessarily, maybe I'll just go through all because people might recognize the names. Maybe they like them, whatever. So the first one, and this is in order of largest to smallest, Fox Factory Holdings. I think they, I think you'd like the brand Fox, you know what I'm talking about? I think it's like related. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, Winnebago Industries, they do RVs, IES Holdings, Expel, which some of our small cap listeners, people that like small caps, you've probably heard of Expel. They have had remarkable returns over the last decade. I think it was 41% annually. Uh, probably one of the best small caps over the last 10 years, 20 years maybe. American Woodmark, Simulation Plus, OTC Markets Group, which I believe operates basically the OTC uh, uh, electronic exchanges. Um, kind of a bizarre company though. Metafast, which might be a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme. It was They, they said they use multi-level marketing, which every time I see that, I just picture like the Always Sunny episode <laughs> where they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, we just got to pass this to the next guy. Anyway, uh, Metafast, Mastercraft Boat Holdings, Samaro Enterprises, DLH Holdings, EcoCorp, Vertra, Nobility Homes, and Corecard. Now, I looked through all this list peripherally, kind of just looking at them from afar. And there were three in particular that stood out to me, and they were actually the last three on that list, so the three smallest ones, and it made me want to dig a little deeper. But before we get into those three, discussion question for you. What do you think of this screener, and then what do you think of screening in general for finding new ideas? I like screening. It helped me find uh, Sprouts Farmer's Market four or five years ago, so... I guess it can be useful from time to time. I think using a screen and kind of coming up with the ideas yourself can be helpful because you can find as organically as possible an idea. You know, we're not going to be like none of us. Well, maybe very few of us are going to be like Buffett and read through every single public company. It's just not going to work that way. We're not, you know, we're not built like that. But you can use a screener to hopefully find stuff organically. And, you know, when you're seeing stuff on Twitter, you're seeing stuff written online, you're seeing stuff in the newspapers or on chats or wherever, Reddit, you can, uh, like, you know, Value Investors Club, though, that reading a write-up there means that someone else found this idea before you. So if you can be for, like closest to the first person finding this idea, then the opportunity might be higher. So that's why I like screeners. Then looking at this, yeah, market cap, sure. ROIC, I'm sure it's just standard, right? Just Yeah. Uh, I, I would look at that plus maybe include a positive free cash flow thing, if you can include that there, right? Because I like yeah. I like high ROIC combined with positive free cash flow generation because I think sometimes companies can tout good returns on invested capital, but they're not really converting stuff into cash flow. But I like the other yeah, stuff. Too. I mean, revenue, revenue is good, uh, but I think the earnings per share might. Sometimes I like to just look at something like revenue or gross profit because if you can find companies that are break even and about to see a profit inflection, I think I'm stealing this from Ian Castle the guy that started microcap club but those can be you know fantastic opportunities as well yeah that's a good point the only issue is that when you do if you don't include the earnings per share growth rate you there are a lot of bad businesses that have grown revenue really quickly it's just unsustainable or maybe something happened in the short run that just like 
made the business explode. And so it's kind of just a qualification check of, are they profitable? Like, are they consistently generating growing profits? But uh, I get what you're saying where the, you might be missing out on some even bigger opportunities. I'm going to talk through the last three companies I mentioned there that are interesting. And just to be clear, I had not heard of any of these businesses before I did the screener. So the first one is Vertra, V-I-R-T-R-A. This is, they sell immersive training simulators for law enforcement, military, educational, and commercial sectors globally. It competes pretty closely with Axon. And they're pretty well known for having this like 360 degree uh, training simulation. And I haven't done that much in-depth research. One red flag that showed up to me was I looked up Vertra Investor Relations and they were paying to promote their investor relations page on Google. So bit of a red flag that tends to tell me that they're eager to sell stock uh, or that oh, they want. Or not, not frugal. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, but when we look at the financials, the enterprise value of this business is $98 million. So, and it's a little below its market cap. So they have a net cash position. Uh, revenue over the last 12 months was 37 million and that's grown pretty quickly as of late and they generated nine million dollars on in operating income on that revenue base so the ev to operating income which is kind of that is i believe the acquirers multiple um, and i think it's a very useful metric to use was about 11 times so very reasonable they've grown their revenue consistently over the last decade i believe at yeah, fourteen point four percent annually. Uh, it's exploded lately because of, I believe, just kind of heightened spending on this, and more and more law enforcement agencies needing this. There's a bigger focus on it, uh, but I haven't done that much digging. I'm still pretty interested, despite the fact that they promoted their investor relations page on Google. Maybe that's just an oversight. Um, does this stand out to you? Does it excite you at all? Uh, for me, I like the tailwinds in this industry, and I think it's something that law enforcement agencies are going to have to spend more and more money on. What are your thoughts? I like it. Yeah, it could be something to look into. I was someone that liked Axon. I, I wasn't a fan of their management team, um, Axon's management team, just from a governance perspective, but clearly that they've done quite well as well. And if I look at their revenue chart, you can see an inflection over the last few years. It reminds me of the opportunity that there was with Axon and probably with this stock as well during 2020 when there was all the stuff about defund the police and stuff like that. If you kind of faded that and thought, okay, hey, this is just short-term blip. Hey, these are just, you know, kind of news or excuse me, noise, not news. Uh, there was a fantastic opportunity for Axon shareholders there. In general, these seem like good businesses, but obviously, you know, you got to look into more management what they're doing, stuff like that, because Axon, as people can look at that stock chart, it's done quite well, but I don't, I've still failed to really trust management just given that they pay themselves so much and focus on adjusted EBITDA and have bad governance issues. And, you know, that, that matters to me at the end of the day, but the underlying businesses seem quite strong. Yeah. And especially with small caps, the management is so important. Because if they start to get a whiff of success and they just start paying themselves a lot of money, that's very you know, 
that can be very common and, and quite risky. So, uh, and I think what's his name, Mike, at, he runs the non gap, uh, sub stack. He talks about it all the time. He like, he loves how, how many small cap companies have just huge governance issues. So you really want to keep a close eye on that for a lot of these businesses. But the second one I'll talk about here is maybe the one that excites me the most. This is nobility homes. So they design manufacture and sell manufactured and modular homes. You love the homes, huh? You love these. Well, what's you got, you got like a, an addiction to these stocks now. Well, yeah, I I think I do. And there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, we all talked about the real estate apocalypse that was coming in 2021, right? Rates shot through the roof. Mortgages were, I'm pretty sure home transactions were down like 60% year over year at one point. I mean, they're a fraction of what they were in 2021. And yet home builders continued to grow their uh, home sales. So it kind of, there was all this talk about there being a home shortage and some of the people were like, well, there's always a shortage at kind of the top of the bubble, but uh, is there really a shortage here? It just goes to show that for me, if you're in geographies with positive net migration trends and the shortage seems to be pretty real, that the home builders are in a pretty good place and they can continue to sell even if overall home transactions come down a bit. So I do like the home builders. And then also most home builders, I haven't done this check for nobility homes that much. They are very different than what they were 10 years ago. The biggest ones are mostly using the land option model, the just-in-time purchasing. That like the inventory on their balance sheet is way smaller as a percentage of revenue than it was or overall assets uh, than it was 10 years ago. So they've done a really good job kind of implementing this new model. And there, a lot of them are just much more capital light, which means better returns on, on uh, assets and equity and returns on invested capital. So nobility homes, they design manufactured and modular homes, and then they sell them through their own retail centers throughout Florida. And it's primarily cities around kind of central Florida. So between Gainesville and Orlando, I'm not hundred percent sure on the migration trends there, uh, but They've had success revenue-wise, so that tells me they're probably selling more and more homes. Um, the retail prices for these typically range from seventy thousand to two hundred twenty thousand. So, picture your manufactured homes. It's, it's kind of your standard uh, modular homes, if you will. Revenue over the last twelve months: sixty-five million dollars. Last twelve month operating income: fourteen million. Their enterprise value is eighty-seven million. So. One big thing with home builders is if you get caught with your kind of pants around your ankles in a bad real estate market, you can go bankrupt pretty quickly because you have a whole bunch of land or whatever. That doesn't, balance sheet, that's really. not typically the case for manufactured homes. The So either way, it's good to kind of have that net cash balance and that's what they have. They've uh, got, I want to say like more than $15 million in net cash. So EV to operating income six times. And then the other part that excites me here is over the last five years, they've repurchased a lot of shares and brought their share count down by three and a half percent each year, which tells me that even though management's been maybe a little conservative here with the net cash balance, they know they're willing to reward shareholders with the uh, share repurchase program. So I like that consistently grown revenue. I do think there is a home shortage. 
uh, across the country. And that's been proven out over the last year. Um, but yeah, this, this business certainly excites me. What do you think? I like some of the stuff seems cheap. Seems like it's a decent industry. I like the cheaper end of the market better than kind of the standard home builders. So these, I wouldn't say it's an exciting one for me, but I think it's interesting. And the, the shares outstanding coming down is also nice. That shows that they understand, you know, returning capital to shareholders. Um, yeah, I think with these companies, I wouldn't, I don't think anyone out there knows whether there's an actual shortage of homes because we don't know what, you know, selling rates of existing homes are going to be in five years. We don't know what, there's so many factors that can go in whether there's, you know, actually a shortage or not. Um, right now it looks like it is, but, you know, stuff can change. Immigration can change, all that good stuff over the next, say, five to 10 years. So that's something from a macro perspective that could totally change. Um I think that's the uncertainty there, but given their cash position, they seem to, you know, be ready to weather out the, the full business cycle. Yeah, seems like a good one. Seems like a decent biz. Yeah, I'm sharing my screen here for any of the people watching on YouTube. I am pulling up the revenue chart for Nobility Homes. Looks pretty solid. 14% CAGR over the last 10 years. Uh, net income has also... It's been a little lumpier, but uh, growing in the right direction as well. And then uh, let's maybe hit some of the ratios so we can show some of the valuation metrics. Let's go EV to EBIT. And what is their, yeah, well, you got a lot of stuff on the chart there, but what about cash conversion or free cash flow? Yeah, EV to EBIT, it's in the single digits, right? Yeah which is below its historical range, which is nice, but EBIT's also accelerated a bit here. Uh, let's go to free cash flow. which by the way, shameless plug here, I'm using FinChat, which is very nice. Yeah. It's been it a is, little lumpier. Um, let me go ahead and pull up net income yeah. and free cash well, flow so we can compare. Well, yeah, while, while you're pulling that up, I will just say that closure of the ad you can use our website or our link finchat.io slash chitchat link in the show notes uh, for any podcast listeners and we'll toss that up on youtube once the recording is done as well i do know i believe this person one of the one of our listeners contacted me on twitter and said they used our code so much appreciate it and they use it because the platform is so nice so there we go thank you for that yeah that's a nice uh, way to ring in the 100th episode right there. Yeah, 100%. The, uh, let me just give a quick shout out to the link. If you're interested in using FinChat, if you've seen us use it, which we do pretty much every day, and they're making constant changes, by the way. One of the big ones, which we really wanted, was real-time prices for the watch list. They rolled those out, so it can really be pretty much your research place, your dashboard, all of it. Uh, if you want to use FinChat, go to finchat.io slash chitchat. That is finchat.io slash chitchat. It gives you 25% off at checkout and it helps us. So you're supporting us. Think about it that way. Anyways. All right. Oh, you have something else on nobility? No, I'll leave it there. The problem, my only problem is, and there is one more company, but after I kind of looked at it, I was a little soured on it. So I'm going to scratch <laughs> that one. But 
I just have been burnt with small caps every time I've tried to invest in them. And there are times when it looks good, it looks promising. And then it's just like, they don't have the resources to grow like I would hope they could. And that seems to be, I I just feel like that's going to happen again. If I try to try to pick one of these, what are your thoughts on small caps overall? Generally, I think it's higher risk, high reward, and you got to let your winners run. It's if you make 10 investments, maybe a lot more of them compared to investing in blue chips are going to do poorly, but the winners are going to hopefully be quite big, like an Expel, like a Celsius, like a whoever. Yeah. Speaking of another small cap, and I was able to pull this up quite easily with the good old FinChat tool. Can you guess? what Bumble's enterprise value to gross profit is right now. Mm. Four times. 3.3. Stock Mm. is collapsed after the recent earnings report. And yes, they have a lot of SBC, but we're looking at a market cap here of about, let me just hold up right now, uh, about 1.6 billion. And... They're generating over probably going to do 200 million maybe in free cash flow. And they just did a big reduction in the workforce because their earnings, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of SBC and stuff like that. Their earnings are not that great. They're expecting to grow revenue about 10% this year. They brought in a new CEO to replace the founder who seems focused on generating profits. I don't know. I think it looks interesting. I what was the market cap over time? $1.6 billion. Yes, they have a big EV, though. Big net debt position? Yeah, remember when we looked at them, they had some slight ownership governance issues with Blackstone and the required payments they had to make out to them and Whitney Wolford. Do you remember that? Yes. So those are still there. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, the, the biggest thing for me, looking at Bumble, and how much are they doing in revenue? It's, it's over a billion, yeah? The, I think they hit a billion this year, but I, let me just get a quick confirmation. Yeah, over a billion in 2023. Every time I've looked at Bumble, my biggest concern was governance. I, Whitney Wolford did a phenomenal job growing the business. She also did the same phenomenal job while she was at Tinder growing the business, but I didn't think... She was focused on shareholders, which is just kind of a different, I mean, she's a great operator, but I'd like to invest in companies that are focused on returning capital to shareholders and prioritizing shareholders. Uh, I didn't see that. This change could put Bumble really on my radar. Here's the other thing. If we just look out big picture. So clearly, first of all, everyone thought match groups problems were solely their own. And they thought, well, Bumble's doing well. Why is a match group doing well? There's, There's been some saturation, slowdown, and it seems like online dating overall. If you looked out 10 years, do you think online dating makes up more relationship formation or less relationship formation? I, I'd be hard-pressed not to say more. Yeah, I would bet yes. But I think one caveat is that there is a potential if these pure plays don't execute that the formate you know the finding dates finding romantic relationships moves to different platforms 
right? Or, you know, it could be a Snapchat, could be an Instagram. People have talked about that before. I th- still think these apps have their place, but there is that risk because, you know, they, they haven't really executed that well. But I, I will say, and they're buying back stock as well, Bumble is. Bought back a bunch from Blackstone. Haven't looked at this one too closely. But, I mean, look, you're buying back $100 million, stock, $100 million in stock a year plus, you know, your market cap's already this low. People are really down on it. They said that they made some stupid errors in 2023 with product uh, placement, and they're doing a revamp in Q2 of this year, which somewhat is a red flag when you just pump that all the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they stabilized the the legacy app that they had called Badoo. It's, it's, it's fairly stable now, which is nice. And they should see earnings rise as, you know, the, the, uh, the workforce, what do they call it? You know, after these layoffs. Let me give yeah. you a scenario. Bumble's a good app. Bumble's a good app. Let me give you a scenario. Six months down the road, Bumble has cratered even more stock price. It's sitting at a billion dollar market cap as opposed to whatever you just said. I think it's 1.3 or 1.6. Six. Uh, 1.6. It's cratered even more. Match Group makes a bid. For $2 billion to acquire Bumble. Do you like it or not? I would like it, but it wouldn't get passed. No way. You don't think so? No. Yeah, yeah I can it's probably, it that's probably right. The uh, And, I mean, MASH Group has said they don't intend on buying anymore, making any acquisitions for the time being. But And Bumble has always held out. They've been very reluctant to sell to Match Group. I think they've been given offers. But a lot of that was just Whitney Wolf heard didn't want to. She had bad blood with the team there, and, and she was avoiding it. It feels like those management teams, the drama, the history between those two is moving out the door. There are new management teams in place. Elliot plans to, I, I imagine, sober up the entire dating industry and and uh, online dating industry and make it uh, bare bones, cash flow machines, hopefully. And once Match Group does it, it almost feels like Bumble has to follow in its footsteps. So I would say it, they are both in a good spot right now. If I'm betting on one horse, it's probably Match Group, but Bumble may be more upside if they decide to get really profitable. The other thing for me is what are the odds that this slowdown in dating is really just everyone migrating to Hinge slowly and they aren't paying users yet. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, I've thought about that. There's a bit of a lag. Um, At least in the mature markets. Yeah. It's TBD on that one. I think it wouldn't be the worst idea if you're betting on the big three and their continued dominance, and it's going to be really tough for a new entrant to step in there, given reasons we've discussed before, you can go back to our podcast. We've done, I I believe it was a a little less than a year now on all these companies, maybe a basket approach of both Bumble and match group works. You get exposure to Bumble hinge and Tinder, and you kind of just go for the whole sector there. I I don't think that's the end of the world or not, not, not a dumb idea. If you're bullish on this, because you know, maybe one of these stocks is, or excuse me, one of these apps is overrated right now. Maybe it's even Hinge. Maybe they're just on a nice little 
you know, growth trajectory here and it's going to slow down a bit, Tinder and Bumble are going to regain. Who knows? But if you invest in all, it could work. I think it would be a nice one to look at again, maybe this summer, Bumble, if it, get, if it gets cheaper. Got some questions here. We also have people saying congrats on 100 episodes. Appreciate everyone. One question. Can you guys explain the unwinding of the derivative portfolio at Nelnet and how that came about at, from the Silicon Valley bank collapse? I'm not as versed in analyzing financials. Yeah, so they did have their annual letter out this week, and they did talk a bunch about that. I will say Nelnet is not the best at <laughs> inspiring confidence from clear writing. I, I, I think you might agree. agree with that, Ryan. Um, so, but that's a good question. And we are going to do a full episode actually on Nelnet in two weeks. So we'll cover it then. Sorry to give a teaser there, but don't have any notes prepared on that. Other person says, uh, unless you have anything, Ryan, that you want to hit quickly. No, it was a little bit confusing. I guess I'm not sure why they felt they needed to unwind a bunch of the derivatives because of the Silicon Valley banking collapse, because it's they don't have like a depositor problem. You know, that's kind of... If you were another bank where you're afraid that all the depositors are going to flee, that's kind of a different question. But unless I'm mistaken, Nomad doesn't have that issue, so... I was a little confused. Not, they that. weren't talking about their bank. It, it was, yeah. I mean, and so, why did they feel compelled to sell the derivative book? I think they were worried about a liquidity crunch and the need to finance their. You know, they do all these securitizations with the loans and all that stuff. I'm sure we can kind of look into it on the annual report and try to figure out exactly what happened. But I think from reading the letter. They were worried after raising interest rates and seeing the banking panic that was going on. They were worried about a, a liquidity crunch and, you know, with their balance sheet, which is, you know, they have those old loans from student loans that are, you know, kind of guaranteed payment. But there's also the all the stuff around that as well with, you know, the politicalization of that. I think they were just worried that it could be. Yeah. Like I said twice already, a liquidity crunch, but we'll cover that for sure fully uh, in episode two weeks from now. Another person says, congrats on 100 episodes. Thank you. Any thoughts on him's and hers earnings up 40% this week? Seems like they keep growing. I have worries long-term about the viability, or excuse me, some concerns about management and just regulatory risks of essentially as we talked in our podcast episode on hims and hers, using social media ads to convince people that they need all these pills to take and then they can get them by talking to a doctor for 10 minutes online. It seems like a scandal could form here. And I would be worried about that, but the company is executing. I mean, they're growing quickly. They're gaining market share. They're doing phenomenally. Not surprised to see it up. Google. This is the google Apocalypse. Gemini was too uh, too racist, <laughs> yeah. I guess, was the big concern. And people are now calling for Sundar to be fired. So actually, Tyler Ferris in the comments here asks, he says, congratulations on 100 episodes, gents. How much do you think Google stock goes up if Sundar is fired? For context, that anyone, for anyone that doesn't follow Google, the CEO is Sundar Pichai. And he's kind of not... I, how do I describe this? 
I don't think he's that important to the business. I don't know if anyone there is that important to the business. It seems like it pretty much just runs on its own. Like at this point, it's just Yeah, he doesn't going. seem to have – he doesn't make any big bets, right? It's not like Zuckerberg no. where he's making huge capital allocation decisions himself. They're not making giant bets. At least they have just an operator. He's not – I don't think they put him in there to be any sort of visionary. So, but anyway, basically to provide some context, Gemini, which is their new language learning model, it's meant to compete with ChatGPT, is apparently not putting out prompts for certain races or uh, basically there's been some flaws with it where everyone seems to think it's it's racist um yeah everyone was upset they made what were they they making uh historical nazi soldiers diverse uh just because they're you know trying to program that in there uh who knows (laughs) i guess there'll be an investigation it obviously turned into a giant political football but yeah yeah i think it's the work the 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 product works well you know that's not bad good good ai i guess (laughs) yeah so yeah, there's some flaws, <laughs> some huge flaws that were pretty laughable online. Some of them were just like, uh, yeah, not making vanilla ice hilarious. cream. Hilarious. That, that was a funny one. That was that was a good one. Yeah, they wouldn't distinguish certain colors. Anyway, the stock actually sold off on this, and now people want Sundar to be fired. Here's what I think is going to happen. I don't think Sundar will be fired, and I think in four quarters maybe even in less two or three quarters, people are going to go, well, I mean, yeah, Google search is just such a good business. So the stock did fine, but there's still cultural problems. And Google search and Google AdSense are going to deliver 10% plus revenue growth because they're the most important advertising businesses in the world. And but yeah, Search. Double click. What is it? Isn't that yeah, what goes that's, into? Yeah, I mean, that's not even an important part of the business anymore, honestly. Yeah, you know the ads and websites. Eh. I think that's it, a huge revenue driver. Uh no. It gets lumped into the advertising. It's a big part of the advertising services that isn't search. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, I guess for Google, that's. Not or sorry for any company, other company it would feel big, but for Google it's not. It's like ten billion dollars or something, I believe. But let's see if we can confirm. See if I'm wrong. It's on FinChat. Uh, Google Network last quarter eight billion, eight point three, which I believe is that's what we're referring to here. YouTube ads nine point two, Google Search forty eight, but 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 I believe Search has much higher margins than. Uh, those other two by far. That's just my hunch. I guess they don't they don't divvy it out, but yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Oh, yeah. Dang, it is a smaller piece of the pie. I mean, the, it's, it's, just because search is so good. <laughs> still really 30 good. billion, right? 30 billion in revenue? It, uh, either yeah. way, search. It's going to have another great quarter. It's going to grow because the world needs it. And if you're an if you're any business on the internet, it's the probably the most valuable real estate on the internet. So, and crypto revenue is back, and they've yeah, got crypto revenue back. Back it up for a little bit. So that's my hunch. People will in a couple quarters be like, "Google's reporting. Let's see if Sundar's fired." And then Google search will be like, "Yeah, we generated more revenue." And then everyone will be like, "Yeah, well, you know, Gemini. There's still cultural issues, but the stock's fine." <laughs> Yeah. What is the famous Buffett quote? If you have a bad manager in a good business or a good manager in a bad business, usually the business wins out. So even if you think the management here is so bad, the business is so strong that I mean, look, you still have YouTube and Google Cloud growing with huge runways for reinvestment, way less mature than the Google search or double click business. The question though was, if Sundar was fired, how much do you think Google stock goes up? I think it goes up, but I don't know if it would deserve to, depending on who they bring in, because there's really only, I think the stock would deserve to go up a lot if they brought in someone who says, I'm going to run lean. I'm going to run, like, you know, do a 40,000, 50,000 person layoff kind of deal. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, not the, the business happen. could be much, much more profitable, but I'm not sure. Yes. Is that realistic? Don't know. It's not going to happen. In my opinion. So this, who do you replace Sundar with? Someone that walks in and lays off half the workforce? Yeah, sure. Google could have, they could probably do $150 billion annually in operating income. But is that the best for the company? Is that the best for employee morale? Is that inspire hey, good engineers it. to come work for you? Because there are products where listen, Google Cloud probably doesn't do as well if it doesn't have such good engineers, if it isn't seen as such a good workplace. There are businesses that have they've launched lately, and I'm not just talking about rebranding WorkSuite, but <laughs> YouTube TV. It's very successful. I don't think they do so well without being known as such a great place to work. Okay, counterpoints. Yeah, we have someone let a let Ackman run it. Let a let's have Ackman run it or have a run at it. No, maybe. Yeah, no. I said we we need an activist man. <laughs> it is his largest position, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he said something shortly. But counterpoint here, Ryan. Sorry, I got distracted. Uh, let's bring up the old ratios on FinChat. Operating margin at Meta. Let's do quarterly. Okay, loading is above 40%. They seem to do what you are implying and their businesses are continuing to improve. So I don't know. Sometimes leaner is better. Yeah. I would... I don't know if they've... My argument here is that there are other businesses that Google can succeed in by having the best engineering talent. I don't think Meta's launched any really successful businesses unless you consider Reality Labs a huge success. What about the Ray-Ban glasses? Those are going viral. I mean, yeah, they, are they're they really? improving, you know, some of the core businesses. Yeah. Maybe maybe they can work cleaner. This business, Google could have whatever, 
seven, 60, 70% MasterCard Visa level operating margins. But they could also just get there incrementally and get there slowly over 30 years and do it as they choose. I, it also invites regulatory scrutiny. They're definitely not acquiring anyone if they're that profitable. I mean, think about all the shit that MasterCard Visa gets for having that that level operating margin. Yeah, but operating margin's still there and stock's still at all-time highs. Yeah, we'll see. Like, I mean, I guess every business, they could always be leaner. Yeah, and I but, think they Meta is an example of leaner can even be, like, you can get more production out of less people when there's not just this, you know, 20 product managers and all these, you know, whatever, like, non-core. Yeah, the, the bureaucracy, the, you know, DEI people are not, some people say they're 100% of the problem, like, eh, it's probably overrating it, but yeah. Yeah, I got another comment here from Tyler saying, Ackman's still typing his tweet, just a few more days to go. Yeah, <laughs> no one's reading those. Uh, oh do my gosh, talk, yeah. Do you want to talk Celsius? I sure. haven't looked at the results. Hell of a quarter. Uh, okay. Great quarter. Got, any, got this, any numbers for the listeners? Revenue is up 102% year over year, I want to say. Okay, let me uh, try to find them. Let me actually pull the exact numbers up here with my friend Finchat. Shameless plug. Uh, okay. Segments, KPIs. Total revenue by geography. This year, $1.3 billion, $1.32 billion. Last year, $653 million. So steep growth. The CAGR compounded annual growth rate uh, since 2015 is 72%. It gets even sharp. It, it's like 90% since 2018. Wow, that is, that is remarkable. That's got to be the most impressive growth story over the last five years. That or Elf, nah, more so than Elf Beauty. Anyway, um, yeah, staggering growth. Operating margins went from minus 24% last year to positive 20% this year. They've done a great job getting into more storefronts. The partnership with Pepsi seems to be working well. They are the number one market. They have the number one market share on Amazon, at, I think just over 19%. That's ahead of Monster and Red Bull. They're the fastest growing in the category by a mile. Um, Costco, as a percentage of overall revenue, which is kind of cool, uh, FinChat has this, went from 17% last year to 12% this year. So kind of reducing some of that customer concentration. That's nice to see. Same with Amazon. That's come down a bit as well. So they're getting more spread throughout. I really like to see that. Uh, yeah, I, solid quarter all around, and they, they're seeing that operating leverage. But here's the question. Is it a buy here? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Market cap approaching 20 bill, right? Yeah. Yeah, 19. It, wow. Up 21% today and it's still climbing. Yeah, that's. it's really hard to make that valuation make sense. This business could grow. It could double revenue each year for the next three years again. And it's still be trading at like 
probably six times gross profit in that scenario. So, and it'd be the same size as Monster, which unless it just eats Monster's lunch entirely or carves out an entirely different market, which is, that's possible. Maybe it's converting some people that weren't energy drinkers to begin with to become energy drinkers. Um, I just have a hard time making this valuation make sense. Yeah. But damn, they've done a good job. Yeah. The, yeah. If revenue keeps growing at 100%, look, the stock's going to keep going up. But they cannot do that in perpetuity. So you got to, I think, have a level set it. You know, well, a level head here. Can't let the, the stock get, get a hold of you. And yeah, if you're, you know, you bought it a long time ago, just keep holding it. But that doesn't they, make it a buy at these prices. Uh, over the last five years, it's up 6,700%. So look, that is incredible. It's, it's a single product stock. It's in a single category that's not that large. It's fairly large, but it's not that large. So how much bigger can it get? I'm not sure. They have. So just to be clear, we said, uh, and keep in mind, they're starting to become a significant piece of the pie market share wise. But in 2014, or not 2014, 2019, they had, I think, doubled revenue year over year. You could have said, yeah, I mean, if they grow 100% over the next five years annually, it could work out. And that is what happened. Yeah, but- what was the revenue? Seventy-five million. <laughs> it gets a lot harder yeah, the bigger you get. The, the the market's like the energy drink market's what like twenty thirty billion globally. I mean, yeah, it's a huge market opportunity. But now that they're doing one and a half billion, okay, you really got to steal share to to make this work. What kind of profit margins do you think Celsius could get to? It's not software. There's still a steep cost to serve every customer. There's some economies of scale, but you know, you're not going to get 90% gross margins. So what do you think they could get to? 25% probably. So what monster has been at, I just look at monster pricing power. There's pricing power here too. Yeah. Well, same with monster. Yeah. I don't know if there's that much pricing power, though. What do you it's think? Not like of the, mon- it's not like the 70s when you're like, whoa, Coca-Cola costs this little? Wow, we could raise prices for the next 50 years. And now today you're like, yeah, it's kind of, it's not that cheap anymore. I mean, you go to Costco, you get basically a dollar a can. I yeah. think that could go up. But that's well, buying in bulk. The yeah, um, yeah. Monster seems like a honestly probably a pretty good comp. The they they actually reported as well this quarter. Did a pretty good job. Results were solid. They're launching. They're launching their new uh, nasty beast, Twisted Tea. You buying that? <laughs> no, that's probably a sugar bomb. <laughs> Yeah, they, I mean, they did well, or they seem to like the results from the Beast Unleashed, which is their like malt, uh, their malt drink. That, but, 
the alcoholic category that could be big for him yeah maybe celsius needs to expand it to alcohol do seltzers you know quote unquote healthy <laughs> seltzers get that brand going just like there's healthy <laughs> energy drinks right yeah the other one which quite the uh ninja move by monster they acquired bang after suing them into bankruptcy and that yeah. seems to be progressing well also do you open the door have... Celsius. not bad a little bit do you think they have any opportunity to revive the bang energy brand because there was a point when bang was like five percent of the market share in energy drinks wait say that again bang at one point had like 5% market share in energy drinks. They were kind of the leading third player, I think. So it was Monster, Red Bull, and then... Well, uh, Rock, fourth, fourth, Rockstar. Rockstar. But Bang was growing, and then they sued them for saying they contained super creatine in their drinks, which is not a thing. <laughs> but, which, so they won the lawsuit. They were awarded the damages... Bang went into bankruptcy. They couldn't really fill the shelves the way they were before, and the they lost a ton of market share. Do you think there's any chance that Monster can revive that brand? Because not only do they, I mean, they lost. I think they also lost share because Celsius did well. People stopped drinking Bang and they started drinking Celsius. Yeah, on well, Celsius used to have some claims that their product helped people lose weight, which they stopped doing. I think probably concerns over that as well because I'm guessing the product doesn't make you lose weight. New but idea. Ozempic in your Celsius. That would not be a bad. I'm in on that. I mean, that's a trillion dollar market cap right there. I think they could revive Bang. You look at C4, that had a resurgence. There's a bit of a nostalgia factor with some of these for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, but it's more of a novelty in that regard. And I, I don't think that's as durable where you could say like, yeah, someone could be sarcastic. Oh, I got bang, you know, throwback. What are you going to do that one time? Yeah. It's not as, not as durable. Like, yeah, they could, they could do well with that. And I guess they killed them and acquired them for scraps, but it doesn't excite me. Com There's a comment here, which is, have you guys <laughs> talked about or have we dunked on Wendy's yet? Tell me you saw this. I did, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was all over. There's me and memes galore. People, people can't stop making them. For anyone who didn't see it, Wendy's is considering what do you call it? Flex pricing, maybe surge, surge pricing, surge, surge pricing on their burgers. So basically, that means prices can fluctuate as demand is hot for the burgers. Which, how bad of an idea is this? Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm off. I, I don't know. You know, if yeah. you're a customer going to a fast food joint, you probably want to have an idea of what you're going to pay. Yeah, <laughs> personally, I I hope they all go out of business. So I, I have a tough time <laughs> analyzing them. I uh, well, I think no one's forcing people to go to these. This spots, is only so. helping if they if they actually roll this out. This, I think, helps every other fast food competitor. Yeah, so I think the the market will take care of itself. If it's a terrible idea, there's plenty of competition out there. I don't think there's a burger monopoly, even if you look at like local players as well, smaller chains. Yeah, if it, if it works, everyone will start doing it, but 
It's like when people are complaining about this $20 minimum wage thing in California. You know? Yeah, I guess that sucks, but these companies were already pricing these fast food a lot, and it's similar to these pricing power with consumer packaged goods, and I worry that it's one of those things that everyone thought, or sorry, it was true for 50 years that there's just incredible pricing power with consumer packaged goods and fast food, quick service restaurants, and I don't have 100% confidence that that's going to continue. And what are you going to get at a McDonald's can cost a lot now, right? You've seen, uh, you know, (laughs) seen the numbers. Yeah. uh, Average ticket has grown considerably at, uh, at McDonald's. Part of that is because they've been able to do, been able to drive volume. They've actually had, I think there was an article that came out about it this week, just phenomenal execution on their app and being able to drive incremental purchases with uh, buy one, get ones, all that kind of stuff. And it's been able to really juice the average ticket that people pay. Yeah. It's worth it gets people to come back. Yeah. I guess they, they've gamified it quite well. It kind of depresses me though. <laughs> if I'm being serious, but yeah. Okay. You we have what? another here's, question. Here's your value tip. Value tip for all the listeners. If you like drinking black coffee, McDonald's black coffee isn't bad, and it's a dollar. I'm yeah. telling you, not bad. <laughs> yeah, but at home it's about ten cents. So if you get, yeah, <laughs> don't be one of those guys. <laughs> if you saved every, if you put six dollars into your Roth IRA every day instead of buying Starbucks, it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, no, start away. Yeah. McDonald's is much cheaper than Starbucks, and yeah, I guess it's just black coffee. But we have one more question. Did you guys? read the Berkshire letter and have any thoughts. I did read it. Don't have yeah. too much thoughts. Kind of basic stuff. Guess the utility business is terrible and honestly thought maybe he was being overly pessimistic to try to temper expectations, especially because the stocks run up so much. But yeah. That was the only surprise for me is the utilities. Guess it's an industry I don't follow, but utilities apparently might be shit goes. Uh, not a whole lot of thoughts. I thought it was another really good letter. Uh, he's, he is still a phenomenal writer. I assume he still writes his own letters. Uh, Uh, he he never really, I mean, he had, he's had the journalists help him for years. Uh, edit it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, He's just sending it to him. They're just sending back edits. Uh, I don't know. If I remember from the snowball, it seemed different. Like the, the letter to the, the obituary for Charlie seemed like it was him, but yeah, he's definitely had those the help, but clearly, you know, either way, either way, as a team, he's obviously part of it. Yeah, no thoughts that are that more that much more valuable than anything anyone said. It had great words for Charlie. Uh, look forward to hearing about the meeting. I don't think I'm going to be there, but listening to it and hopefully. The three, uh, Ajit, Greg, and Buffett. there's another one. I th- I thought there was, they mentioned maybe another one being up there. I hope they start to give Greg and a, specifically Ajit more airtime to talk because uh, if you're a Berkshire shareholder and you want to keep holding, you got to get to know those guys pretty well. 
That is true. And insurance is an important part of it. Yeah. Go, uh, sorry, Geico. Yeah, kind of in a tough spot. But I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you to all the listeners for taking us to episode 100. Had a good little live audience today. If you want to watch these live and comment for any of those questions that we're referring to this in this episode, you can join us on YouTube, on the Chit Chat Stocks YouTube channel every Thursday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you enjoy these episodes, give us a follow on either YouTube, Apple, or Spotify. That's the best way to keep up with any new show releases. Give us a five-star review on either Spotify or Apple to help us grow. Subscribe to the newsletter, Chit Chat Stocks. You can find it over on Substack or right in the show notes. And I think that's it. Let's hit the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Oh, what? what's the last part? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always forget. Ryan, I, or any podcast guests may ha- hold securities in this podcast. Or excuse me, not in this podcast. Wow, I'm totally screwing it up. May hold securities talked about on this podcast. May have held them in the past and may buy, sell, or hold them in the future. <laughs> got, through, got through that. All right. Thank you to everyone again. And we'll see you next time.